Okay, we're at week six of Hebrews. Um, so that's Hebrews 9 we're talking about. Um, this is Out with the Old, In with the New. That's the title of this lesson. And we're, I feel like we're kind of completing this three-part series of how Jesus more than fulfills the Old Covenant ceremonies from what kind of high priest he is to... Um, the temp, the tabernacle and just the sacrifices and all that. So a lot of this may feel like it's repetitive. And this is when I just trust God that obviously this is something we need to get in our hearts. So we're going to be reading from Hebrews 9 and talking about the tabernacle. Now, if we were in person, I would have gotten my mother's flannel board of the tabernacle that really exists. I grew up with her using it to teach her Sunday school class and her ladies Bible studies and I loved it because first of all I'm a sucker for any kind of like stuff like that. Like it was like a flannel board with all the little pieces and the different covering, tent coverings with all the different colors. So it's almost like if you had a dollhouse of the tabernacle. Um, but I'm on camera and I didn't know how we could do that. And plus the tabernacle is in Mississippi. So we're gonna do the best we can. And in your homework, I would, if you're watching this, maybe get out your homework for the week because there's a diagram of the tabernacle. Now, I don't know what I was doing when I wrote the homework because that first section of questions is all messed up. So in the handout, I'm gonna correct that because I have the wrong verses for the wrong pieces of furniture and it's just a mess and there was just no other way to do it. So I realized that when I completed the homework <laughs> that this is not making sense. So anyway, those are all my caveats for this lesson. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you even take mistakes we make and uh, use them. I pray that we would understand more fully the kind of salvation you give us by looking back at the tabernacle and how Jesus took his sacrifice to the true tabernacle. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, let's read Hebrews 9. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which we were in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which there was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is, in, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, 
not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins." Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, but then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Okay, Whew, that's a lot. A lot of Old Testament ten, uh, tabernacle talk. And so when it says tent, it's referring to the tabernacle, which when Moses and the people of God left Egypt and had their 40 years of wandering in the desert, they, one of the first things that they did was they built a tent for God. God gave Moses specific directions, and it was like him going, look, if my people are in the desert in a tent, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to be in a tent. And so that is where their worship, their church happened, so to speak, was at the tabernacle. And so let's talk tabernacle for a little bit. Look at your notebook, your homework, and that diagram or kind of pattern of what was in the tabernacle. So if you're looking at that, first of all, you know there's a fence around the whole thing, and there was only one gate. There was only one way to come in, and you had to come in through this gate. And the first piece of furniture you saw, this is out in the courtyard. It was not inside the tabernacle. This was kind of the front yard of it, was the bronze altar. And this is where the animals would be killed and the blood would happen. Um, then the next piece of furniture you see there is a bronze laver or a basin. And that's where the priests would wash their hands going in and out of the tabernacle itself. So you come in and the tabernacle is made up of two rooms. The first section of it is the holy place. And that had three items in it. 
and one is the table of showbread. So it had, I think it was 12 loaves of bread, and that was replaced every day. And then you had the candlesticks. And to see great descriptions of this, look back in the Old Testament, but these gorgeous candlesticks. And then you had the altar of incense, and that was right in front of where the Holy of Holies was. And the Holy of Holies and the holy place were separated by a veil. Now we're not talking a veil like, you know, like, you know, I dream of Jeannie had a veil, those flimsy little C3 veils. I'm talking about a big carpet, like a oriental rug type veil, okay? So it's thick and it separated it. And so in the Hebrews passage, when he's talking about this, is a little confusing because he puts the altar of incense in the Holy of Holies. And in the tabernacle from that passage, you see it as right at the door. So it's almost like, you know, I don't know if this is right, but in my mind, it's almost like you walk into the front room and the light above the front door is part of it. Like the incense from that would just be flowing past the veil into the Holy of Holies. So in a sense, that was in there. So I don't know if that helps you. That was kind of how he explained to me a little bit in one of the commentators. But so you have those three pieces of furniture in the holy place. And then there's the back room where only one person went once a year, and that was the high priest. And that's where you have the mercy seat or the Ark of the Covenant. So like, for instance, if you're a big Indiana Jones fan, the first movie he made was The Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's about the Ark of the Covenant, okay? So this held like the the bowl of manna. It held uh, Aaron's stick, his rod that was blossoming constantly. Okay, think about that. A stick that has flowers on it. And then the tablets of the law. And that was inside. And then there was like, it was all covered in gold. It was, it was like cherubim statues or something somehow overarching it. And this was like the throne of God, the mercy seat. And so once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest would put on special clothes and he would have three animals ready, a bull to sacrifice for his sins and his family's sins, okay? Then he had two goats and they would draw straws or lots or whatever and one goat would go in as a sacrifice. They would kill the goat and that blood would go and he would use it to make this once a year sacrifice for all the people. Then after that, the other goat was still alive and he would put his hand on it or somehow place, somehow say the sins of the people were on the goat and then some guy would take the goat out of camp, way out, and he would be released. And it was like the sins of the people were on this goat and he was gone. Kind of like the idea of a scapegoat, okay? He was the scapegoat. All the sins of the people were put on him and he was taken outside the camp. So you see this picture of the blood being used to clean, to purify, um, to, to forgive sins. All this stuff had to do with this huge once a year uh, atonement, day of atonement. If you want to know more about that, I really recommend you read Leviticus 16 and just get the play by play. It might be better than what I just told you. But bottom line, this sacrificial system, the tabernacle, the um, Day of Atonement, all these things, that it was very bloody. There was blood all the time. It was 
costly. This just showed that the sin for them to be able to even have God have a tent with them, they had to constantly be making sacrifices. There was a constant reminder that God is holy and I am not. And we can't live together. And so God made a system that provided a sense of atonement and cleansing. Although in the very way it was set up, it, it was like, it was like this was temporary in a way, that something else better is coming. And so these people of God, they're saved the same way we are. They had faith looking forward to the sacrifice of Jesus. We look backwards at the sacrifice of Jesus. So we're all saved by this one sacrifice of Christ. But think about it. We really have a lot better than they did because they were really, really in the dark. Um, they were by faith doing these things and it was teaching them and you know probably some people didn't get it just like we don't get a lot of stuff but it's there if you look back at it you can see the the pictures and the hints and the 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 shadows of what is real and what will happen so um so so the why is that they had to do something for God to live with them and it's just a terrible way to live. You know, they never had full access. They never had full forgiveness. They never could say, whew. I mean, even the once a year sacrifice, even though that was like probably such a time of remembrance and relief, they knew it was happening every year. Um, so, you know, they, it was just what they had. So Jesus came to be the king and to be that sacrifice and to be slain and to be the goat that the sins are put on. And even when he was crucified, where was the cross? It was outside of the camp. It was outside of Jerusalem. It was where they put trash. It was that kind of shameful thing. That's where you put the things you never want to think about again. Okay, so he came to be that sacrifice. And because he is, he took it to the real tabernacle and to the real presence of God and to this real tent. And this better tent, the one that's made in the heavenly places, not with the earthly things, is for a means a better sacrifice. Um, because in Mark 10, 45, Jesus says that he came to give his life a ransom for many. He came, the reason he came was to pay the price and to cleanse us and purify us. So it's a better purity. The blood sprinkled was, was Christ's own blood. Um, Hebrews 9, 12 through 13, it cleanses. Obviously, Jesus, the Son of God's blood, is much better than a bunch of sheep, rams, and bulls. Okay? Um, let me ask you this. If somebody offered for you, say, I will give you 10,000 of those, like, lollipops that are in the shape of a ring. Those, I don't know if you loved them. I thought they were really cool. They're like candy rings, and you would just suck on them like that. I'll give you 10,000 of those, or I'll give you just one real diamond ring, like a good five-carat one. Well, 10,000 of plastic sugar is nothing like that's not even a choice we would not even think about it i will take the real rock thank you very much okay ten thousand billion rams and goats and sheep that is nothing compared to the one sacrifice of christ 
um, think about it another way. Think about monopoly. And you think about how monopoly illustrates real estate and how you borrow from the bank and how you might make a payday, how you might go to jail. It just kind of is like a little shadow of life. And you have monopoly money. And how much when I was little, I thought that monopoly money was so fun and so cool. I would really have real money now. Monopoly money, yeah, that taught me about money. That taught me a little bit about real estate. It taught me not to go to jail and lose my $200, but it's really not real. It's play money. And so that's what we're talking about. Jesus' blood is real money. It's the only kind of blood that really spends. All of this other stuff was like showing them, showing them and gave them a way to participate until the time of Jesus came. And so they have such a better deal now, these listeners to the writer of Hebrews. But also, and we said this last week, Jesus is a better representative. Those priests, much as they, the best of them tried. I mean, think about Aaron. He was a great high priest and he built a golden calf. Think about the ones that that maybe just weren't strong enough to keep on being a priest. Um, think about the one, they all died. I mean, th- um, I don't know what it is this year, but between the Michael Jordan special and the latest thing on HBO about Tiger Woods, I'm, I'm just struck by the just pure talent and hard work and dedication and passion for their sports. And yet I'm looking at them and going, and one day you're, you're not going to be able to dribble the ball or swing a golf club because you're going to get old. I mean, even in Tigers, he says, yeah, my body won't do what it used to do. I mean, it's kind of sad because you know it can't last. That's how the old priests were. And Jesus lasts forever. So he's a much better representative, so much so that he pays the price for the people to be in this covenant with God. Like we said last week, he was the guarantor. He promised to make sure it would happen, and that promise took him to death. He died to make it happen. It's a better efficacy. Um, it just works better. Um, Hebrews 9, 25 through 28 says, this was a complete and total payment of the debt. And we'll see next week in Hebrews 10 that the old way couldn't give a worshiper a clear conscience. Think about being a woman back then. I mean, the minute you left the tabernacle and left whatever goat you and your husband took or you and your sister went and did that and you'd stump your toe and cuss on the way home. It was constantly, oh no, I got to go back. I got to go back. It was just this always this just, uh, it's like being camping and you can't take a real bath and you might take a little spit bath or maybe go into the campground, you know, shower and just wash off, but you're not clean until you come home to your real bathroom and clean okay there's no way for them to feel clean like we do now it is so much better to me to be a christian now than what they had to do i mean yes they were saved yes they had a relationship with god but it is like we are in technicolor compared to the black and white tv of the old testament so no repeating was necessary jesus it is one and done There is no repeating it. And we have so much better access now. Matthew 27, 51 talks about that when Jesus died, that veil between the holy of holies and the holy place ripped from top to bottom. If you'll go back and read in Matthew, you'll see there were people that came back from the dead and things were happening. It's crazy and it's kind of spooky. 
But it's because when God himself died on the cross, when Jesus died, it was done and there was access now for anybody. They didn't have to do this anymore because Jesus himself took his blood to the throne room of heaven, to the tabernacle of heaven and presented it to God. And so we didn't have to do all that anymore. So the fact that the actual veil was torn in two, it says it all. Okay, so we have a much better access. Um, I don't know if you ever do this, but when you've been in a new school or a new office, or maybe you go to a family reunion of your spouses and nobody knows you, you just feel odd, you feel like you don't belong. But then, like, maybe once you go to school and you get the uniform and your parents pay the tuition and you have your name on the roll and the teacher calls it out, you're like, you don't feel that way anymore because you belong there because you're wearing the outfit and your parents have paid for it and the teacher knows your name. Heaven, God's presence is like that now because God has given us the clothes of righteousness. He has paid for our, our ability to be there and he knows us. We belong in the presence of God. I just don't know if we quite can get what that means when you think of who we really are and the sin we do and where we come from and our everyday just things we even know we're doing. There are things we know we're doing bad and there are things we know we should be doing and there's stuff we still don't know what we're doing wrong. God paid for all of that so that we can be totally at ease snuggling up to God and saying, my Father, my Father in heaven. And you get to do that. And He knows you. He knows you. That kind of access. And this all gives us just a better hope. In Hebrews 9.28, it says, We eagerly await His second coming. That means that, just like imagine if the high priest on the Day of Atonement went into the Holy of Holies, well, Everybody was probably kind of holding their breath because what if he did something wrong? What, you know, there's kind of this, this kind of pause of he's in there, he's doing whatever he does in there, and then he comes out. And there's got to be this sense of relief. Are we looking at heaven to go, when is our high priest coming back? When is he coming back to finish and take us so that now I will be glorified. My body will match the reality in heaven of God sees me as perfect. Because aren't we struggling? Aren't we struggling with sin and still battling sin? And like we've said before, and we're going to say later in Hebrews, we see that this path is hard we're on. And there's this, just this huge um, shot of confidence the writer of Hebrews is giving the listeners and giving us. And that, yes, it's hard. Yes, this is a struggle. Yes, you don't need to be lazy. You don't need to be ignorant. You need to grasp this salvation. But you are saved. And you are saved by Jesus himself who beats everything you've ever seen. There is no religion. There is nothing on earth as good as this. It doesn't even come close. So we have a better hope and we eagerly await that of when he comes back and it makes we are fully, fully just at peace. So what are the better results? And basically, what's this to me? What about me now? Okay. Um, well, first of all, we have a clear conscious. And second of all, we have a clear future. So let's look at the clear conscious we have. We have a fresh clean soul. And I don't know if you struggle with guilt. I don't know if you struggle with shame or 
just feeling like something's not right. I feel like our culture now doesn't really talk about hell. It doesn't talk about sin. It doesn't, it doesn't bring up that we should feel bad. Maybe we dismiss the Ten Commandments or we, you know, kind of go, well, I don't do this, this, or this. And we're just not looking at our Bibles. We're not looking at what Jesus said about sin. But the thing about having a clean conscience is you can look at your sin and know it's okay. It's like watching a scary movie and knowing that this did not happen to you or even in the world because it's a pretend movie. I mean, it's like I hurt over my sin, but I know there's a way to get rid of it. And I'm not going to walk around this life just burdened, kind of like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress, just walked around with a burden on him until God cut the burden off and then he could make his way. It's just feeling free. Yes, it's hard, but you do not have the weight of sin and guilt that this sacrificial system really works and it's final and it's full. In Romans 8:34, Paul says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He is still interceding for us. And in 1 John 2, 1, Jesus is the better intercessor. Um, John says, My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and for our not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus can handle it. His sacrifice can handle it. When He goes in as the atonement, it ends all the other, all the other payments. There is nothing you can contribute to this. <laughs> There's no, okay, well, I better be good enough and earn it. Mm-mm. You can't. If you tried from now till eternity and made no more mistakes, you still would not make it. You need God. You need Jesus. He gives you a clean conscience. I mean, I really would be... I mean, I'm anxious now already, but if I did not have forgiveness, I would be a basket case because I would know there's nothing I could do. And either I would be working real hard to be good or I would be working real hard to enjoy myself. But the pressure is off this life when I know not only that there's someone who has covered me and paid for me, but I actually have a really great future too. That it doesn't have to all happen in this life. But there is a clear future that in verse 14, a clear conscience paves the way for serving the living God. And this word serve here is not the typical way where you serve, like serve the poor or serve other people. It's the more like a worship service that this kind of conscience can worship God because we belong in His presence and we can praise Him. Uh, David says in that psalm of repentance after his sin with Bathsheba and after he killed Uriah. So the king, he loved God and he screwed up. He had adultery and he covered up with a murder. He says in verses 14 and 15 of that psalm, that he will sing of God's righteousness after he has delivered him from his sin of bloodshed. That David could sing like he was forgiven. He believed God. He believed that sacrifice would cover even such a stinky sin. I don't know what stinky sins you've got, 
but they are nothing for Jesus. They are nothing. His blood trumps everything. You know, when we take communion um, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, Jesus says this cup is the blood of the new covenant. Just like the blood of the old covenant had to, to sprinkle on everything to purify it or to atone for the sin, Jesus is saying this is the blood of the new covenant. Remember, drink and remember. Um, one of my friends, Les Newsom, is a pastor in Mississippi, and he said a line that I love, that communion isn't renewing the sacrifice, but it's renewing the intimacy. And so as you drink that, remember it. It's almost like a little anniversary cup of wine, just to remember what Jesus has done. And whatever you can't let go of, I want you to picture that scapegoat, because Jesus became that scapegoat. Those things that you just want, you just go, how can I ever separate myself from that? I am the cheater. I am the gossip. I am the ugly one, the lonely one, the unhealthy one, the not smart one. Whatever it is that's your identity that's not Jesus, put it on the scapegoat. Confess your sins. Get rid of it. Jesus takes it. He took it outside the camp so it is not you. You are forgiven. You are pure. You are God's own daughter. And whatever else you're trying to put on the altar instead of Jesus, your good deeds, that you know a lot of good theology, that you can recite the catechism, that you gave all your money away, all these things, that's not, that, that, doesn't, that money doesn't spend in heaven. The only money that spends in heaven is Jesus' blood. Take it. You are rich in it. And receive this eternal inheritance where we will get to one day sit with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth because of this great sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord, this is a lot. We do not know all the ins and outs about the tabernacle, but we know that it reflects how great a salvation we have and that there was no way we could cover our own sins. There's no way we can earn our way to peace and to a safe conscious and one that's not wrestling with our misdeeds and our bad words and our ugly thoughts. But Lord, you wrestled all that away when you paid for it with your sacrifice. So we thank you, Jesus. And we pray that we would serve you and worship. We would worship you and that we would live as those redeemed and bought and paid for and those that are pure and that we would love you with our hearts that you have paid for. In Christ's name, amen.